Hey there, Crimaholics. Welcome back. It is your host, Kinsey. I'm so excited for this episode today. It is so special and near and dear to my heart. I'm sure you guys have just heard our brand new intro song, and I want to say thank you to Kyle over at Big Mad Media. He is the husband of one of our favorite true crime podcasters, Heather Ashley with Big Mad True Crime. He did a phenomenal job, and I hope you guys love it just as much as we do. All right, let's move into today's episode. When I first approached Holly about starting our show, it was strictly for entertainment and there was no real true substance behind it. However, as time went on with the podcast and we started moving towards a different direction, One thing that had always stuck out in my head when we would work with families who have missing loved ones or we would work with families who have lost their loved ones to homicide or we would have guest speakers tell their personal stories, I realized that what we were was a voice for the voiceless. And that's when things changed for us here at Crimeaholics. And we wanted to use our platform to be able to be a voice for those who felt like they don't have one and a place for people to tell their stories so they know that they're not alone. Two topics that we have really focused on here on the show is the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Movement, which is an epidemic, and teen dating violence awareness. Teen dating violence is something that we are almost blind to and it's happening every single day. A topic that we have talked about at length multiple times between Holly and I is a topic that we know is so important to talk about, even though it is already highly talked about. But we wanted our platform to be a place where sexual assault survivors can share their story and give some insight to people who may feel like they're alone and things that they can share that maybe hopefully can resonate with somebody who's been through the same things. April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and I was approached by a close friend of mine, actually just about two weeks ago, and she had said, you know, April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and, you know, I'm fully aware of what you guys do on your podcast, and I think maybe I might have a story that you would want to cover on your podcast for this month. And I told her, yeah, absolutely, you know, send me over some articles and let me take a look at it and, um, you know, I'll get back to you. A couple days goes by and she sends me several articles and she goes, you know, go ahead and read over these. Let me know if you have any questions or we can talk over the phone. And to be honest, this is somebody that I worked side by side with. I've hung out with her multiple times and I feel like I know her rather well. She is somebody who is always smiling and laughing and I think that's what this story really struck with me is that you can never look at somebody and really know what they're going through ever or something that they have been through. When she sent me the articles Sorry, I'm like almost already starting to tear up. When she sent me the articles, I was reading through two of them. And before I could even finish either article, I messaged her and I said, who are these articles about? And she wrote back and she told me they're about me. And I wrote back, 
oh my God, I am so sorry. And she said to me, please don't be sorry. She said, you know, this experience has changed my life. It changed who I am and I've gotten to help a lot of people. And that's why I want to tell my story on your platform. I want to say ahead of time that this story is graphic. It is all about sexual assault. So if you are sensitive to these type of topics, I absolutely recommend not listening to this episode. But if you can handle these type of topics or you are somebody who has also experienced this, I highly recommend listening to her story and her perseverance because it's a really powerful story. And I'm keep tearing up over here, but it's really touches me just because again, it's somebody that I know. And again, just by looking at her and like watching her smile and like laughing all the time, I never would have guessed this is something that she had ever experienced in her lifetime. And I think this for me was a huge lesson to know that you truly don't ever know something that anybody has been through. So again, before we get started with her story, I want to say just one last time, if you are sensitive to the topic of sexual assault, please do not listen to this episode any further. mom took me to live with her biological dad and his wife and um his wife was Jeannie which is the one that passed away and I lived with them until I was 10 and they got a divorce because Jeannie was cheating on my papa with Eddie which is uh, ultimately the guy that did everything um and so we lived with her or me and her lived with him off and on from the time I was 10 until I was 16. Um, and in that time, uh, everything that was like sexual, I guess you would say, started when we lived with them, with him for about six months. And it started with him like offering me money to um, do not sexual favors, but like the strip for him and things like that and um it escalated to him trying to show himself to me and I was very reserved I was very uncomfortable with it like I knew it was wrong you know what I mean but I wasn't sure if it was like wrong wrong I guess you would say there like at that age there it, there was a real gray area I guess you could say when it came to something like that as right or wrong Especially because he used, like, the excuse, well, your Mimi does this for for me all the time. It's okay. It's a normal thing. You know, you're raised to, when you grow up, thinking adults don't lie. You know what I mean? So, it started there. Um, and then he started showing me porn and stuff like that. And he would peep on me while I was in the bathroom or accidentally walk in on me while I was taking a shower and things like that. And, um... Him and my Mimi, Jeannie, um, they kept going back and forth. They'd be together. They were very off and on. Well, um, 
left him. We moved, we moved out. She was like completely done with him. And that was as far as like things went with me and him during that time. Um, and we moved into a town, into town, into a house and they ended up getting back together and he moved in. Then it got to the point to where like he would look at me while I was trying to sleep, like trying to take off my clothes and things like that. And, um, he would offer to buy me things if I would have sex with him and things. And I always declined. Um, and he knew I wasn't comfortable with the things he was doing or trying to do. And so he would, he wouldn't stop. He would just try to be sneakier about it. Um, he had a like hardcore porn addiction. It never, we would go through like a computer every three months because the computers would just stop working. Then I didn't know why. I, I'm assuming it's viruses now, but, um, and it was just, you knew it was wrong. I knew at that age it was wrong because at this point, I'm not 10 years old anymore. I'm, I'm 13, 14 years old and, um, I get tired of it. And so I move out. I move in with my biological dad first time ever. And that goes, straight to shit I only live with them for a few months and then I come back to my hometown um for spring break and I beg my Mimi to let me stay and she agrees and then later a few weeks later I find out that the only reason she agreed was because it was something that Eddie um wanted he was the one that convinced her which was disgusting it made me so sick to my stomach well, anyways, he was—he started buying me, like, extravagant gifts, or we would go to Ulta, me, him, and my Mimi. I, I hardly ever went anywhere alone with him. Not because, like, my Mimi wouldn't let it happen or anything, but that was just a personal preference. And um, so we would go shopping, and he would drop hundreds of dollars in, like, Ulta or just all these crazy stores. And it got to the point where my Mimi was like, okay, that's enough. This is, this is extreme. This is ridiculous. Um, me and her started fighting back and forth a lot and I started acting out, uh, which I contribute to the things that I was going through behind closed doors, as well as the situations I was having with my Mimi, um, who was my step grandmother. But anyway, so he's, he's doing the little stuff here and there back and forth, you know, peeking in on me in the shower, the same thing. Then he's trying to look at me under the covers. It got to the point where I would go to sleep with jeans on. And um, I tried mentioning it to my Mimi a few times, and she didn't believe me. Well, fast forward, um, we went to court. My mom took my Mimi to court to get custody of me. And I told the judge the things that I was going on throughout my childhood and things like that. And, um, throughout the course of like the, the hearing and things like that, um, he would hear both sides, obviously, you know, and he pulled me back in his chambers, me and him talked. And then at the end of the hearing, he granted full custody to my Mimi who resided with a registered sex offender from something that he did back in the nineties. Um, and which was just absolutely absurd. Well, come to find out the judge had ties with Eddie and both of my grandparents and my mom was the outsider. So you know how small towns work. Um, CPS was called a few times and they would come and investigate, 
but they were always related to my Mimi. Um, so nothing was ever done. It was just Shanna's, Shanna's having a hard time. She's, you know, going through puberty, blah, 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 excuse after excuse. And so February, I believe it was, of 2012, while I'm going through all this, um, I told some of my friends throughout it, uh, at the end of 2011, I, it was the first day of freshman year, we all skipped, and I told a whole bunch of my friends, um, about what was happening, you know, and it got out, got to their parents, so on and so forth, and I ended up moving in with my pawpaw, um, but no one believed me, they were just hoping that it was going to resolve itself, uh, that only lasted a really short time because my papa was an alcoholic, and um, he was with his girlfriend at the time, and she was just very cringy, um, for lack of better words. But uh, so I ended up moving back in with them. February of 2012, my English teacher teacher asked me to write an essay, asked the whole class, but asked us to write an essay about the best or worst thing that's ever happened to us, and. Um, I asked her if I could write about something, if it was current, and she said yes, and I was like, okay, cool, so I wrote about everything that was going on with me and Eddie, because I knew that, um, you know, teachers have a duty to report or whatever, well, um, she gave it to the vice principal and the principal. The school called my Mimi. Mimi and Eddie came to the school, and I was forced to apologize to the school for lying. Um, and so that was just a big whole stink. And things got really heated um, from February to January or June. Um, like, he would allow my boyfriend to come over and stay the night and get my boyfriend trashed and then try to take advantage of me and things like that and it's just it's just one thing after another but he had never physically made contact with me um it was always with my clothes trying to look under my clothes and things like that um the morning of june 29th 2012 i woke up to, or I was, I, I woke up, I woke up probably around 6, 15-ish, and I was watching TV laying in bed, and I remember him opening the door, he popped it open, you know, kind of peeked in, I saw him, smiled, kind of waved, you know, and he shut the door. A few seconds later, not even 30 seconds later, he swung the door open, ran inside, and jumped on top of me, and held a 22 revolver to my head and covered my mouth with his other hand and kept telling me to shut up, shut the fuck up. And I just froze. I just laid there. And um, I let him undress me all while he's holding the gun. He's doing this one-handed while on top of me. I let him undress me, and then he duct tapes my hands and my mouth and my feet with yellow duct tape. And then he stops. He just randomly stops and stares at me, and he leaves the room. And then he goes and gets my Mimi. Um, and he shoots her in front of me, and then he proceeds to rape me from about 6.30 until roughly 11.30, um, until I'm able to sneak out of my bedroom and run out of the house and run through town naked 
through the middle school, and I ran up to a cop who was uh, either just getting off duty or on duty, checking his mail, and I, like, banged on his window, butt naked, you know, and he lets me in the car, and I explain what's going on, and this dude goes, because it's just a few blocks up the road, we lived a block from the middle school, and we were, I would say we were, like, two and a half blocks from the house, and he pulls up to the house, after he hears what I said, and he's looking through the windows and stuff, and I'm, like, freaking out, because I'm thinking Eddie's about to shoot this man, too, and it was just, it was, it was a really stressful situation. I had to, like, um, text people that he knew was going to expect to hear from me because he said that he would hate to shoot anybody else that showed up and tried to interfere. Um, it was just, it was a lot. But the cop came back to the car, you know, other cops showed up. Showed up. I went to the hospital, got checked out and everything. Um, you know, there's a standoff. He gets, he goes to jail. Um, and then, you know, time passes. I have attorneys and things like that. And we start handing out lawsuits to the judge and the school district, you know, for failure to report and blah, blah, blah. As time goes on, it just keeps, it just keeps going and going. There's questions. There's movie producers calling my attorneys. There were authors calling or, you know, calling and contacting my attorneys. Um, and it just turned out to be a lot. And it went on for about three and a half years. And at this time, I was pregnant with my daughter, and she was born July of 15. It was December of 14, and they called me wanting me to come to, like, a grand jury type thing for the judge uh, because they kept having to go up chains in court, and I told him no, that I was done. Um, it wasn't, I didn't want my daughter growing up overshadowed by what happened to me and everything that was coming with it. So I dropped the cases. Um, I didn't show up to one of my meetings for the school and that one was dropped and I just washed my hands of the whole situation and, you know, valuable lessons learned. You live, you learn. Um, I've only been back to my hometown twice, uh, since everything's happened and yeah after a few months of that after I moved away and everything I moved to Georgia and um, you know started growing and things like that and among my like travels I ended up with a speak out group and then I started speaking out at colleges and high schools about sexual assault and the signs and you know the whole you're not alone and things like that. I would definitely tell them to look forward because that's the only way you can go. If you look behind you, you're going to have nothing but regret and remorse and guilt and self-pity. And it's very important to look at it as being a survivor and not a victim. It's very hard to overcome something if you have a victim attitude. And it's really hard to get out of that um, because ultimately that's just the first mindset you're going to have is, oh my God, I'm a victim. That Why did this happen to me? What what did I do to deserve this? And, you know, what could I have done differently? And it's, it's not about that because you can't change what's happened. It needs to be about, wow, look what I just made it through. I should have died. I didn't die. Look at, look at what I'm overcoming. Look what I just got out of. Look how 
quick-witted I was to get out of the situation. Oh my gosh, pat myself on the back. I did this in order for this to happen, and it saved my ass. Um, and really commend yourself on your foresight, you know. And it's all about building up and just not looking back. And, yeah, that's kind of what I did. And just kind of, I would say, I will say, I did bottle it up a lot, um, which isn't good. You don't need to do that. Um, I ended up going to therapy for it for a little bit. And that really helped. And there's nothing wrong with therapy, you know. It's cool to have someone that you have absolutely no connection to whatsoever and just lay it all out. And that really helps, too. It happened 18 days after my 16th birthday. And I would say from the time I was 16 until about... 23 was an absolute roller coaster. I was a hellion. I was rebellious. I was hectic. I was, it, it, it was a lot. And at 23 was when the switch finally flipped. And I was like, I can't keep using my past and what happened to me as an excuse for these behaviors. Like something has to change. I have to mature. Like I'm 23. I'm a mom. I have to I have to move forward, and that's really when it started kicking in, and I started overcoming everything and realizing that what happened to me can't define me. So there is definitely, if you're in school, I would obviously recommend re reaching out to your school teacher. I know that sounds absolutely absurd considering my situation, but not all teachers are bad, and not all schools are founded on a small town last name system so I would definitely reach out to your teacher if if that doesn't work your cops if that doesn't work tell an adult that you trust that you know will you know kind of raise an eyebrow tell tell your doctor your pediatrician you know um, ask to speak to your doctor privately and have whoever's with you step out of the room and tell your doctor aside from that Anybody can call the National Sexual Assault Hotline. Um, that's a super easy Google. Um, and then there's also RAIN.org. Um, and RAIN is double N's. So it's R-A-I-N-N.org. And that has a bunch of national resources for sexual assault survivors and their loved ones. RAIN's a really, really good program. There's a lot of articles and things like that that you can reach out and read and research and things as well. And then, of course, you know, you can reach out to your local counselors or therapist, your school counselor, um, your college advisor. So there's a lot out there. Um, and a quick Google search does wonders, but um, quick and easy. You can also, uh, you know, just call 911 and order a pizza. After listening to her story, I'm sure that you know as well as I do that Shanna is a really amazing, brave woman for being able to come onto our platform and share her story. I absolutely love her attitude around her entire story. Just the mindset she has of, I'm not a victim, I'm a survivor. Shanna, that's phenomenal and I applaud you for having that type of mindset. I applaud you for coming onto my platform and wanting to be a voice for other people who have experienced the same things. You are a phenomenal person and you are going to make a difference after sharing your story. 
I want to say just one more time that this is a huge lesson learned for me because you truly do not know what anyone is going through or what somebody has been through. And it is so important to always, always extend kindness because your words towards somebody or your actions towards somebody could be the shove that pushes them over the edge. This is somebody that I have spent a lot of time with. And again, every single time I saw her, she was laughing and she was smiling. And I spoke to several of my friends who also know Shanna personally and told them, it just amazes me how she was able to have a smile on her face every single day. She truly has persevered and overcome what has happened to her and not let it define her. As I was going through and putting everything together from this episode, I went to the websites that Shanna had suggested that you look at if you need help. And I want to share some of these statistics because I want people to know that they are not alone. According to the NSVCR.org website, one in five women in the United States experience completed or attempted rape during their lifetime. Nearly a quarter of men in the United States have experienced some form of contact sexual violence in their lifetime. Nationwide, 81% of women and 43% of men reported experiencing some form of sexual harassment or assault in their lifetime. One in three female victims of completed or attempted rape experienced it for the first time between the ages of 11 and 17. About one in four male victims of completed or attempted rape first experienced it between the ages of 11 and 17. It is estimated that 734,630 people were raped in the U.S. in 2018 alone. If you or somebody you know has experienced sexual assault or are currently experiencing sexual assault and you need any form of help, know that you are always able to reach out to us here at Crimeaholics. You can reach out to your local law enforcement or you can even reach out to the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673. Know that you are not alone. Crimeaholics, I will have pictures of Shanna posted on all of our social media so you can see her beautiful face. I will have multiple resources attached to our social media so that way if you need any type of links or phone numbers for any type of help that will be available to you. Crimeaholics, as always, be aware and take care.